Well, good morning. Uh, I'll get started. Um, my name is Josh. If you don't know me, I think I know almost everyone here. I should. Um, and, and I'm just so excited to be here. Typically, I stand down here on Sunday mornings, and, and it's an absolute privilege for me to lead this congregation in worship most Sundays, to be able to stand with you, to sing songs, to, to sing praises to God. But today I get the privilege of opening God's word. And, and, and don't, please, please don't see that differently. Please don't see the opening of God's word as, as uh, not worshiping. Like opening God's word is worshiping him, is bringing him praise and honor and joy. And so I'm just so glad to, to be able to do this. Um, guys, if I'm being honest right now, I feel a little inadequate uh, standing here. I feel a little... Uh, not worthy to share God's word. So can we pray uh, just for this moment? Uh, let's pray one more time before we dive into the, to God's word. Father, uh, I know, we know that, that, that you have entrusted faithful men, as Derek shared. You have entrusted us to, to come before and share what we have heard. And so God, as we open your word, would you use me but more so, Lord, would you prepare our hearts to hear what your word has to say. Not what I have to say, not, not what I think we should say. So, Lord, if, if, if there's something that, that you don't want this congregation to hear, would you shut my mouth? Just take it away from me, Lord. Uh, really, well, this morning, we want to hear the goodness of your word and to hear how great your love is this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, so, so as we, we dive into our, our passage today, if you have your Bibles, let's start there. Let's open them to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 is where we're going to start, and uh, we're going to be in verses 7 to 12 this morning as we, as we uh, progress in our series called What's Love Got to Do, Got to Do With It. Um, as, we, as we progress into this uh, series. We've been looking at love, and we've been looking at the biblical definition of love, and we've been looking at what God means by love. And I think it's been a worthy study because I think Derek and others have pointed out to us that we just really have an awful definition of what love is. We just don't really know. That word, I think, has been used so much that, that it's actually kind of lost some meaning. Right, for like we might say that like I love ice cream or I love the Yankees because they're awesome. Um, or I love winter or I love spring or I love summer, right? And we, we say, you know, we might even say like, man, I love it when, when I catch a green light and I'm driving, right? I, mean, I do love that. But, but if I really boil that definition down by using those examples, really all I'm saying is I prefer this one thing over another thing. I'd much rather get a green light than catch a red light. I'd much rather watch the Yankees than the Red Sox because they're just awful to watch. Um, and so, so but, but we use this word love over and over again, and we use it so much that it loses its power. It loses what it means. Because I turn around and I use that same word to say that I love my wife and I love my kids and I love Jesus and I love this church. And if all I really mean is that I prefer them over someone else, then, then we've lost that meaning. We've lost what, it's, what love is about. 
And so, so I feel like we, the world itself has fallen into this kind of wishy-washy, thin, weak definition of love when, when, when what God intends is something so much greater. He intends so much more for our definition of love. I don't know if you guys remember, uh, in the late 80s, there was this TV show called Pee-wee's Playhouse. Um, and and, and uh, there was this guy named Pee-wee Herman, and he was in a, a house, and the house was like, it had talking chairs, and the, the clocks could talk, and the windows, literally everything talked, and, and it was kind of, it was a really weird show. Kids, like, if you're looking at your parents, and they grew up in the 80s, and you think they're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, that's because this was the stuff we, we watched growing up, and it was weird. But, but, but in Pee-wee's Playhouse, the one joke they told over and over again, right? Somebody would say is, I love something. And then Pee-wee or the talking chair, I don't know any of their names. But they would say, well, if you love it, why don't you marry it? Right? They would say, if you, well, if you love it so much, why don't you marry it? And, and there's one episode of Pee-wee's Playhouse uh, where, where Pee-wee says, I love fruit salad. And the stupid chair is like, well, if you love it, why don't you marry it? And sure enough, Pee-wee marries a bowl of fruit salad on the episode. Um, and so this is the stuff that we... But, but even this silly show and this silly example, right? Even in that silly line and that overused joke, you get the idea that love is meant for something more. If you say you love something, then there should be an inherent action. There should be an inherent dedication. There should be a, an inherent caring for that. Even in that little joke, we see, well, if you love that, if you really say you love it, then, then why don't you do something about it? Why don't you marry the fruit salad? Which we can go on that for days. But I think even in that silly example, we can see that love is meant for more. And so my concern is, is that, is that when we look at the, what the Bible says and when the Bible calls us to love, my concern is that we're applying this weak, feeble, wishy-washy definition of love when God means so much more. So when, when the Bible says love your neighbor, does that mean I just love my neighbor as much as I love fruit salad? That's not so hard, Right? But I think what God, would, when the Bible says you should love your neighbor, that there's so much more there. And, and luckily, as we get into our passage today, John's going to give us a little bit of a picture of love, and he's going to give us a definition of love, and he's going to point to love in a way that I think is going to help us understand what the Bible means when it tells us that we should love. And so our point today, our main point that we're going to look at, is, is that God's love leads us to love others. God's love leads us to love others. And, and now we're going to need that definition to really understand both of those things. What is God's love and, and what does it mean to love others? And so we're going to see that in our passage this morning. So let's jump into that. Um, we're in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Would you stand as we read God's word? This is the word of God inspired to John thousands of years ago, but intended for us in this moment. Can we stand as we read this together? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, praise be to God. So as we continue on in 1 John, we've seen the last couple of weeks, two weeks ago, um, if, if you feel like uh, that passage maybe was familiar that we just read, um, and maybe even that my main point is familiar, it's because it's very similar to the main point from two weeks ago. Like, John is not messing around. He's repeating things over and over again for a purpose. But what he's doing is he's taking these ideas of loving one another, he's taking these ideas of God's love, and he's turning them bit by bit, and we're looking at different angles of it, as if we're looking at a, at a prism. We're just seeing different angles of that same love. But, but two weeks ago, Derek walked us through, meaning if we, if we have love of God, if we have the love of our brother, who is Jesus Christ, that should lead us to love our brothers, which is very similar to this point that we're going to see today. But last week, John took this little detour, and we, we really looked at the dangers of, of false prophets, the dangers of people who were, who were trying to lead the church astray. And he took this moment to, to really hone in on how we can know that prophets are true. How can we know what the prophets are saying? How can we know that they're from God? And we get this idea that, that, that he says in verse 6, right before our passage today, he says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so we get this idea of knowing God. And that's our first point knowing God. Um, there is an, an English theologian named J.I. Packer who passed away last year, um, and he wrote a book called Knowing God. And so as I was reading this, I couldn't help but think of, of that book, and it's a tremendous book, and if you, you, you should read it if you haven't. If you come across it, you should read that book. But one quote that I have from J.I. Packer from that book, he says, once you become aware that the main business that you were here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Now, that seems a little simplistic, but, but what he's saying is, once you realize that knowing God is of utmost importance, then everything else kind of pales by comparison. The problems of our world seem less daunting because what we should be focused on is continually focusing on God, continually lifting our eyes to God, continually looking to God and making sure we know him. Last week, John wanted us to make sure that 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 those who knew God were the ones that listened. And in our passage, we see it's a little differently. If you look in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It's almost a little litmus test for us. How do we know if we know God? Do you have love? How do you know if you know God? Is your life marked by love? Does, does knowing God transform you in a way that love pours out of you? How can we know if we know God? 
how do we know if we know God? Look at verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Notice what he doesn't say there. Everyone who does not love God does not know God. That I get, right? If you're telling me, if you don't love God, you don't know God, that makes sense to me, right? If you don't love him, you don't know him. I'm good. But he's saying, if there's no love in you, you don't know God because God is love. Love comes from God. So in order to check ourselves, to make sure that we know God, we need to check our lives and do we have love? Church, there is no loveless Christianity. I, I, I'm going to say that again. There is no loveless Christianity because I see people who stand up and say, I love Jesus and spew hate out of their mouths. And now I'm not saying that, 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 that any of us in this room are perfect, but I'm telling you, if you're spewing hate on a daily basis, I'm concerned that you don't know who God is. Because knowing this God, knowing God that is love, changes us in a way that, that love should pour out from us. So church, this check for us this morning is to look at our lives. Because this love that, that, that John's talking about should be a warning for us. It should be a check light. It should be, you know what, I don't feel loving today. You know what, that guy cut me off as I was driving, and then I got to work, and that guy at work who just drives me nuts, and, and by the end of it, you are just, you're, you're angry, and you're not feeling love. That should be a warning light to us. That should be a beacon that points us back to God. That should be a danger, danger, so we get into his word and realize that when we're without love, we're separated from God. That when we don't have love, it's because God is not filling us up. We're not turning to him. We're not leaning into him. We're not reaching out in prayer. We're not diving into his word. And the result is we can be very unloving. We can have this point where we don't have love. Now, I'm going to be real because none of us walk around loving all the time, right? None of us walk around like, like that, that person was a little deranged. You know, you've seen that person who's just a little bit, they're just, they're so, they're over the top. But, but we don't walk around like that. But at the same time, that should mark our characteristic. When people look at us, they should say, that Josh, he's a loving guy. He loves me. I know that he loves me. And guys, uh, hear me. This is not, this is not uh, the easiest thing for me to portray at all times. I don't know about you, but the way I grew up, it just wasn't something where I'm just pouring love out all the time. That's not my personality, but I've been challenged. I've been challenged by the word today in that, is it I'm not showing love or I don't have love? And this is where I'm digging deeper. This is where we need to dig deeper. Is it we're not showing love or we don't have love? Either way, it could be a warning sign that we actually are falling from God. We're pulling away from God and that's not filling us up so that we can love others well. The second point that we're going to look at today and where I want to spend just a boatload of our time is in a second point called love revealed. So if you're thinking to yourself, Josh, you just went on this rant about how we don't have a definition for love and the world can't tell us what love is and then you told us that we need to have love so that we know God. 
but you never told us what love is, then you were correct because I did not do that. Uh, we're going to look at this in our next section in Love Revealed. Read with me in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. This word manifest, this word manifest really means visible or real. So he's saying, John's saying, in this, that the love of God was made visible to us in the world when he sent Jesus to the earth. So we're getting a little closer, right? We have a little bit of an idea. We now have a picture maybe of what love looks like. He's saying love was made visible in this world when Christ came into it. The love of God was made visible when Christ came into it. So we get this idea now. Now we can point at something. We can say, you know what? That's love. I have an idea. I can see a picture. So, so does that mean, <clears throat> as we look through God's word, that, that, that this is sacrificial love? Okay, then, then, then God's love is a sacrificial love because, because he stood there and he sent his son. He sacrificed his son, sent him to the earth for us. So, so okay, God's love is, is sacrificial. I think we get a little better picture. But I think it's a little more than that. I think it's a little more than just sacrificial love. We need to see what really happened. We need to see the, 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 the seriousness of what went on. When we're talking about Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, omnipotent, omnipotent, uh, everlasting, all-knowing, that God, that according to, to, for, to, to Colossians 1, was there when the world was created. Right was part of creating the world. That God came down to earth and put on this flesh. Put on this finite, decaying body. That God, who always has been and always will be, came down to this earth. Now we're talking about a level of love that's just a bit deeper. It's a little deeper than just sacrifice. We're looking at what this was, was an, an ultimate sacrifice. But why did he do it? Why did he come down? Our passage says in the end of verse 9. So that we might live through him. Dave used uh, John 3.16 today as the uh, call to worship verse. And John 3.17 says God, <clears throat> that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world may be saved through him. It wasn't condemnation that we deserve, right? We deserve condemnation. That wasn't why Jesus came. And we see this in our passage here, that he sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now, if you're thinking, uh, I know a lot of people that live, a lot of people that have great lives that don't know who God is. Because, because I think what we're trying to say here is that, is that we need Jesus in order to live. We need this love, this sacrificial love in order to live. But, but I see in the world there are plenty of people living who don't know Jesus. And, and you're right. Uh, Matt Chandler, who's a pastor at the Village Church in Dallas, Texas, he says this, he, he said it at a conference I was listening to the other day. He said, outside of Jesus Christ, you may exist, but you're never going to live. 
So outside of Jesus, you may exist, but you're never going to really live. What does that mean? It means that, 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 that people of this world do live, that they do experience the blessings of this world, but they're not going to experience them, experience them the way God hoped, the way God intended. This idea is called common grace. Uh, and we don't dive into that too often, but this idea of common grace is that God gave blessings to all the world, that all can experience them. Do you think about this? Like, we are serious when we say that we need Jesus Christ in order to live. But that doesn't mean that, you know, people down the road who, who don't know Jesus, they're living. They're enjoying life. They're having some of the same blessings we are. There's a couple of passages that we can look at. Matthew 5.45 says, For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. And in Luke 6.35 he says, For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. We get this idea that there is common grace that everyone gets. Right? There are good things in the world that we all get to enjoy. But the purpose of this common grace is so that you can see, man, I can really enjoy a pint of ice cream, and it's delicious. And a person who knows Jesus and can, can enjoy that ice cream, and hopefully they can, you know what, God, what an amazing God you are that you made flavors like peanut butter that you made this thing that touches my tongue and it's delicious and I get to enjoy it but you see the person who doesn't know God eats the ice cream and enjoys it for the ice cream and then it's gone and so the reason we have this common grace is so that we can continue to point up to God so that we can see the good things of the world and and hopefully see that that those who don't know Christ it's going to pale in comparison to what God really intends and that's what we're seeing in our passage. That Jesus Christ had to come to this earth so that we could live because we need to live through him. He needed to come so that we can live the life that he intends for us. So, so we see that Jesus is love revealed. Jesus is God's love revealed on earth. But we still haven't gotten a definition. We can see a picture. We're getting close. But what is love? Let's look at verse 10. <laughs> it starts off, in this is love. That's a really good start. He's saying, this is love. Now I feel like, man, we're going to get the definition we've been longing for. In this is love. And then he stops. And he says, not that we have loved God. Because I think the danger here is that, that we can continue to look at the world for a definition of love. He's saying, no, it's not us that shows what love is. We can't show perfect love. Now you're saying, man, I can really, really love. And amen, you can. But I want you to think about something for a minute. Let's just take a moment. And think about the person you love most in the world. Who's the person that you would do anything for that you love more than anyone? Have you hurt that person before? Have you said words 
that caused them pain? Have you neglected that person? Have you walked down a path that, that, that would hurt that person? We say we love this person more than anyone on the earth, and yet we hurt them. We can, we can injure them. It's because we're tainted by sin. We can't look at ourselves for a definition of love. We can't look at humanity for a definition of love because humanity is tainted by sin. And so we can't look at at what the world has. We can't look at what the world offers. We can't look at what the world says love is because the world has been tainted by sin. So the only way we can see what love is or know what love is is we have to look at something that hasn't been tainted by sin. And for us, that's Jesus. So we need to look to Jesus. Let's look back at verse 10. He says, this is love. Not that we loved God. It's not us that shows what love is. But that he loved us and has sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, propitiation is a really, it's like a $10 word there. But propitiation means one who takes the place for another, one who takes punishment for another. Church, we realize that he's the propitiation for our sins. We realize our sins come with a cost. Each and every sin comes with a cost. In Romans it says the wages of sin is death. Our sin is owed a debt of wrath. God's wrath is owed to us because of our sin, but instead Jesus was the propitiation. He was the the, the, the wrath absorber, if you will. He was the one who took on all of God's wrath in our place. He was the one who, who appeased God's wrath so that we can live. We want to know what love is, church. We want to know what love is. We need to look at the cross. If you want to know what love is, we need to look at Jesus who looks upon us. Like, I asked you to look at, you know, I asked you to, to, to think about the person you love the most. Who's the person in your life that's hard to love? Who's the person in your life that's difficult to love? That's the person Jesus died for. He looked at us who were enemies of him and died instead. He looked at those of us who continue to turn our back on him and he absorbed the wrath that we deserved. That's love. That's a definition of love that we can't even look at. That's a definition of love that, that, that we need to, to, to hone in on. The definition of love is the gospel. The definition of love is sacrificing, is loving something so much that you'd give up everything to protect it, to save it. That's the definition of love. But I want to look at something because our world still pulls at us a little bit, right? Uh, I don't know, Andrew was watching some romantic comedy last night. I can't even tell you what it was. But, but um, I, I was sitting there and, and, and half awake and, and watching this thing and, and the world wants us to think that that love is spontaneous and easy, 
right? In, in that two-hour movie, they fall in and out of love, and then they meet the person they love forever, and it's spontaneous, and it's easy, and the truth is love is hard, and it's deliberate. Look at what Jesus did on the cross. That wasn't spontaneous, and it certainly wasn't easy. That was built up from the time of Adam and Eve, from the time that sin entered the world. That was built up. That was deliberate. That was Jesus dying on the cross. As we sang, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. It's not easy what Jesus did, and it certainly wasn't spontaneous, but it was love. We can see that in our relationships, right? Those of you who have been married longer than Mandy and Chapin, um, I'm just kidding, guys, you guys are fine, but those of you who have been married a while, marriage is hard, right? And if you say, like, oh, marriage is easy, I just love my wife and it's great, that's, hopefully that's true for you, but it's deliberate and sometimes it's hard work. For me to love my, my wife well, that's hard work. That's not just, I wake up in the morning and she's happy with me and we go, no, there's things that I do to cultivate her heart. There's things that I do for her because I love her. There's things I want to protect her from because I love her. That's hard work and it's deliberate and it's day after day. Those of you who have raised kids, can you, can you see that? That it's, it's deliberate, it's day after day, it's hard work. It's not... This idea of just falling in love and, and then, then there's butterflies and rainbows and everyone's happy. No, the love is deliberate and it's hard and it can take sacrifice. So this is the definition that we have for love. If this is our definition, then, 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 then we need to start looking a whole lot harder at what our passage is telling us to do. And so let's look at our last point today and that's our response. Let's look at what our response is to God's love. Right? My main point was that God's love should lead us to love others. Now, when I'm looking at those two pieces, I'm looking at God's love, and we've looked at what that is. The picture of God's love is Jesus Christ coming to earth, dying in our place, being killed and beaten on the cross in our place. There's a picture of God's love. And when it tells us to love one another, this isn't like the same love that, like, I love golf, but... Like, if I love one of you guys as much as I love golf, I haven't played golf in three or four years. I could say I love golf, but my actions would say otherwise. I could say, you know what, I love going on long walks. I like going outside and walking, but only if it's sunny and not too cold and it's not windy and I have enough energy so I'm not super tired and I don't have a whole lot of work to do. Then I love going on walks. That's not what we're talking about here. When we say that, that, that we should lead us to love one another, now we're talking about there's a whole deeper level of love that we need to dig into. Let's look at our passage so that we can see what John's talking about this morning. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Why do we love one another? Because we've been loved by God. And he uses this word ought, right? Like we should love one another, like it's a suggestion and, and if you're reading it that way and you're like, well, he just thinks that we should do it. There's a lot of things I should do. Uh, go down to the end of this, this chapter. Very last, verse 21. I'm going to steal part of Derek's passage. 
And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, so if you're thinking this is just kind of a you know, wishy-washy language by John, no, he clarifies that it's a commandment that we must love one another. Why? Because we've been filled with love. We've been transformed. And the outpouring of that should be love for one another. Now, Jesus here is our measuring stick. I don't know about you, but that's scary. If, if the definition of love is what Jesus did, that means I'm going to fail to come up to that every single time. But Jesus is our measuring stick. And so we look at that and we look at what Jesus has done. What did Jesus do? We can just look at his life while he was here on earth. Did he, did he pray for others? Did he care for others? Did he disciple? Did he chastise when he needed to chastise? I don't know if we think about Jesus and making a whip out of his robe, right? And just whacking people in the temple. Did he, did he love? We can look at what he's done and look at our lives. If we need examples, we can look at Jesus' life for how we should love one another. Now, who is one another? It's a great question. Is there someone in this room who this week needs prayer? Is there someone in this room who needs a ride to the grocery store? Is there someone in this room who needs a meal made for them? Is there someone in this room who just needs to know someone's thinking about them and cares about them? Is there someone in your life, maybe outside of this room, who just needs to know that you're thinking of them, that you care about them? This is how we love one another. This is how we show love to one another. I use this example all the time in the missional community. You guys can, can yell at me for this later, but, but we look at love, and I use this example. What's, if, if My kids are older, so it doesn't really work out so well, but if you were to see a young child in the road and there's a truck coming at them, the loving thing is to shout at them and get them out of the street, right? The loving thing is to call out to them and say, there's a truck coming at you. The loving thing isn't to say, man, they're just, they're doing all right. Like, they'll probably get out of the way. No, the loving thing is to tackle them and pull them out of the street so that they're not killed by the impending truck. But church, what I say, the more loving thing is to stand with them on the sidewalk. To stand beside them on the sidewalk and say, don't step out into the street. If you step out into the street, who knows what could happen? Boy, there could be a truck that comes. The more loving thing is to walk beside our brothers and sisters, to love them in a way that this world doesn't have a definition for. Think of verse 12. Guys, if I'm being honest, uh, I struggled a bit because this passage felt like there was you know, we, we kind of talked about this already and, and John's kind of repeating himself and what do I say that's different than what Derek said and, and as if you guys all remember what Derek preached on two weeks ago and I, and I hope you do, but, but as I was looking at this and I was praying about this, this came to mind, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. 
If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, in your Bibles, in your version of the Bible, there's probably a semicolon, right? After the word God. No one has ever seen God, semicolon. I will just tell you that that semicolon did not exist originally. That was added by an editor to help us better understand. But I want to change that just a little bit and turn that semicolon into a comma and add the word but. Let me read it this way. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Church, what a privilege we have. John's saying here is that we can't see God. But what we can do is love in a way that God is visible to those around us. We can love in a way that that the characteristic of God, the invisible God, is now made visible to those that we love. We can live in a way and love in a way that shows the very nature of God. No, we can't see God, but we can sure see his love. We can see his love in Jesus, and then we can see his love pouring out from us to those around us. We can't see God. Have you, have you ever heard uh, somebody tell a story or, or say that, you know, in that moment, I saw God. I had this spiritual awakening, and in that moment, I saw God. And, and, and I don't know what people see. But I will tell you that the best picture of God is not some mystical or spiritual moment. The best picture of God is the people of God loving one another. That's the picture of God's love. If you want to see him, if you want to see God, look to one another. Love one another. To be able to see God is to be able to see us caring for one another. You want your your relative or your coworker who doesn't know Jesus to see who Jesus is, you can love them in a way that God's the only explanation. If you want your kids to know who Jesus is, you need to love them in a way that continually points them to Christ. Now this feels daunting. I don't know about you, but but I don't walk around all day thinking that I'm showing the love of Christ through my actions. That feels heavy for me. That feels like there's a weight. And if, if you're feeling that weight, then I want you to read the rest of this verse. There's good news in the end of this verse. If we love one another, God abides in us. He lives in us. And his love is perfected in us. Church, we're talking about not loving with this wishy-washy, cheap, alternative definition of love. That love also isn't what resides in us. What resides in us is the powerful, life-altering, world-changing love that God offers. And that's within us, being perfected in us. So even though we are tainted by sin, God's perfecting his love in us and filling us to the point that that should expand out. It should explode out of us. Everyone around us should be touched by the love of God. That's what it means to love. That's what it means to love one another.
And that's how we can show the world who God is. That's how we can show the, our neighbors who God is. That's how we can show through our actions one another. We can show each other God. So church, I don't want you to walk out of here. I don't want you to walk out of here today, and I'm wrapping up, so if you're timing me, I'm, I'm finishing up right now. I don't want you to, to walk out of here saying, man, you know what I heard today? I gotta stop using love all the time because Josh said it's wrong. I should only say love when I really mean it. And I don't care if you say it all the time. But what I care about is when you read the word love in the Bible and when you're commanded to love, you know what that means and you're not applying this weak version of love to God's word. What I want from you is when you look at that and say, we need to love one another, that you're applying a level of love that can only come from God. And church, when we think about loving one another as a community, that we strive to love each other in a way that, that, that points people back to Christ. Because his love is being perfected in us. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. I wish, we're grateful for your love that we don't deserve your love. We didn't do anything to earn your love, that we, we did nothing but blaspheme. We did nothing but turn our backs on you. We did nothing but walk away. And yet you sent your son. You sent God to the earth to put on flesh to die for us. May this be our definition of love, God. How would you help us? Because if I'm honest, we don't always love well. We need you. We can only love at the level that you want us to love when you filled us up. So God, may we turn to you this week. May we see a lack of love in our life as a warning sign that's going to point us back to you so that we can be connected to you so that we can have this real love so that we can love each other well. God, may this church, may this church be an example of your love. When people come to Sunbury City Church, I hope that they would feel loved, that they would feel your love upon them, that they would feel like they know you because of how they're loved. God, would you continue to point us when we, when we make steps? Would you continue to direct us when we make missteps and when we, when we don't love well? God, may we look to you. May we look to your word for our definition of love and not what this world wants to tell us, not what this world who wants to, to change love to fit their own definition. God, may we continue to look to you for truth. It's in, it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.